everybody and welcome to another edition of We Are Mission, a Missio Scotland podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Father Michael Kelly, who is a Coltegan father um, from Ireland and he is also the National Director of Missio Ireland. So Father, thanks very much for coming on the podcast Thank today. Thank you very much, Jared. Okay. So Father, can you tell us a wee bit about um, your background growing up in Ireland? Yeah, I was um, born in County Tipperary. I grew up on a farm and uh, we went and walked to the local primary school and back home and even and helped with jobs on the farm and so on. And uh, then I went to a secondary school called Bally Finn in County Leash. And um, then after leaving secondary school, I um, stayed about two years working in Dublin, Dublin Airport. And then I was thinking about being a priest and then I went off to... Giant Kiltegan fathers. I suppose while I was young, when I was only 14, my father died suddenly, so that had a, pro- a profound effect on me, I suppose, and, and life and so on. And yeah. yeah. And, and did you come from quite a big family? I came from a family of uh, seven children, five okay. boys and two girls. Mm-hmm. I have a brother, a priest as well. Right. And But it was difficult for my mother because there were seven of us when my dad died and we were all kind of still school age, so yeah. but thank God. She put, kept going as best she could, and so was true. And would you describe it as quite a, you know, a traditional Catholic family? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. in yeah. Ireland at that time. So, uh, when you were at school and stuff like that, did you ever have any notions of of doing anything else other than being a priest? Did you did you have any other interests? Yeah, I had. I suppose I would. I'd love to be the pilot, an airline pilot. Right. <laughs> and when I left school, I I did an interview for two jo- jo- government jobs. One was for meteorological. Ireland mm. and the other was for air traffic controller so oh. the first one came up and I started and uh, we did some training courses and then shortly while I started on the job I got a letter to say I got the other job as well so I, I would love to get into the air traffic control mm. but I knew I was short sighted one eye so they mentioned that that we'd have to f- certain level of light strength. So unfortunately I didn't move because of that. Yeah okay okay and you were talking about you know um Coming from a traditional Catholic family and stuff like that, how how big a part did did your faith play in your life from an early age? Yeah, I suppose it's always you know we're always a family. Went to mass every Sunday, and uh, I suppose one thing influenced me very much when my dad died when I was only fourteen. I often remember I might be going somewhere in the car, and he might say, "Did you say your prayers today?" <laughs> and I remember him a few times saying that every day I say a prayer a prayer for the grace of a happy death. And uh, the day he died, he was sick with pleurisy, and and the doctor came and said he was going to get him transferred into the local hospital. And my mother said, "Well, you know, we should get the priest down to see you before before you go to hospital." And uh, it turned out later that he even the priest came because they had a wedding on and they were tied up. So they came and he received all the sacraments and was taken into hospital and was dead within an hour. And now that influenced me, I suppose, greatly the, the, the power of prayer and, and yeah. God in our lives, yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of your your own vocation, um, what was the catalyst for it? Was, was there anyone that was a, a major influence in that um, decision? I suppose I thought about it when I was quite young, and I suppose that idea was always there. And um, I remember when I was very young, an African magazine, which is the Kiltika's father's magazine, used to come into the home and I remember seeing a photograph of Father Pat Whitney, who was a founder of Kiltegan. And, you know, wasn't only barely able to read at that time, but that little memory stayed there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, yeah, I was always thinking about priesthood while I was in the secondary school. But then as 
when I left school, then I suppose I, um, you know, I went off for the bit and decided to work for about two years. But still, there's a little nagging something in the back of my mind. And uh, so, in 1970, I joined Kiltegan Fathers, and I was ordained in 1978. Mm-hmm. And you, you talked to your, your brother, there also been a priest to see Kiltegan as well? No, he, he? he's the last of some priest in, in my yeah. home diocese of Cashel, yeah. So he's just retired this year, so I'm not quite sure what he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of your vocation, what kind of surprises did, did following your vocation bring, do you think? Yeah, um, I suppose I always wanted to somehow work with the poor. And I can remember my own mother when I was very, very young, and some travelling people came to the door looking for help. And not only would she give them something, but I can remember her bringing them into the open fire, sitting them down at the fire to warm themselves and giving them tea and whatever else to eat and giving them something to go. And looking back on it, I, I suppose I just felt, you know, he was a very easy way that my mother just had reached out without ever saying anything, but I mean, it had a, a few, huge influence on me mm-hmm. and when I decided to become a missionary priest. Now, she never talked to me about priest, but my father never talked about it, becoming a priest. But um, they would still have, have very positive uh, feelings towards the church and towards priests. And uh, I mean, in terms of the actual term vocation, wh- what does it mean to you in a, in a broader sense? Yeah, I suppose it, it means dedicating your life to a cause. And, uh, you know, I can say nurses have vocations, doctors have vocations. And for us, I suppose it's, it's making God's love known to people and God's mercy for them. And that God always forgives us and he's always with us and he um, He loves us. And, and, and Ireland uh, has got a kind of very special relationship, I think, with the missions, why do you think so many Irish priests and religious sisters chose to go on mission? Yeah, I think in, uh, back at my generation and old who were older than me, I suppose there was a great awareness of, of the missions in houses and with magazines going in or maybe a priest coming from the missions giving a talk in the school and even parents probably talking about it. And we're talking about maybe priests and nuns who went abroad. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of always in the background there, subtly. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the Kiltegan fellows, like, why did you choose th- them in particular? What, yeah. what, what was appealing about the Kiltegan Appealing to me. The Kiltegan fellows was founded in 1932 by Father Pat Whitney. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're fi- 90 years old this year, and we were all celebrating St. Patrick's Day, but there was a lockdown, so we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I visited a few places, and I just felt, when I went, went to Kiltegan, I just felt a, a very homely at- atmosphere there, and very conscious of families and the needs of families. I suppose back in my mind was my dad had died when I was 14, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sort of openness to families and so on. And uh, I suppose I was very conscious of the fact, well, I'd like to be around when my mother was called to heaven, so, and I did. <laughs> yeah. um, is there a saint or a scripture passage that kind of defines or inspires your vocation? Well, I suppose when I was in secondary school, I remember that passage, you know, that, uh, it was actually in, in, in the Mass yesterday, and um, you know that whoever leaves gives their lives to God, and you know they'll experience a hundredfold, mm-hmm. but not without persecutions and trials. But that's awareness there, that, and they just receive eternal life. I think that as a young fellow hit me very much. Yeah. And what about saints? Do you have any favourite saints that you, you pray to? Yeah, well, I suppose the St. Patrick, Kiltegan, we're also known as St. Patrick's missionary, so I suppose mm-hmm. St. Patrick would be part in there. And um, also, I suppose, St. Bridget, the Irish saints, and um, 
I suppose some of the saints who were so very much, you know, John Vianney, and mm -hmm. he was to give up to eight, six, eighteen hours, I think, in confession sometimes, and uh, that that has influenced me a lot. I would say in my life, yeah. And Father Michael, obviously, um, priests and, and missionary priests—they've—it's quite a—it's um, tough at times. Um, so, where do you kind of draw strength from? I would say prayer, and uh, yeah, it's, it's very important. I mean, we pray prayer the bravery every day, and um, so that would be important for my life. And also, some time for meditation, letting, just letting God speak to us and like listen to God's word in our hearts. And the rosary as well. I have. I must admit, I suppose, as a young priest, I, sometimes I'm very tired. I might miss saying the rosary. But in 1984, I went to Medjugorje. And um, so it's very primitive in those days. And since then, I never missed a day without saying the rosary, or maybe a number of rosaries in a day. Might be doing the car when I'm driving at different times, but I would never, even no matter how tired I'm, I'd never miss saying the rosary. And your vocation itself, where is it taking you? Look at the kind of the timeline of your priesthood. Where, where is it taking? Yeah, you? I was ordained forty-four years ago this month, another week, and eighteenth of June. Mm -hmm. And I was sent to Grenada in the West Indies, my first mission, and I was there for just ten years. Mm -hmm. But the first five years, we had two revolutions and an American invasion of war. So Jeez. a little bit exciting, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I suppose, yeah, we didn't. I was only a few months there when, when the opposition party and government took over from the Prime Minister, a man called Eric Gary. And in fact, his wife was a minister in government, uh, was living in the parish I was in, and used to come to Mass most mornings. So um, she got up that morning and she was coming to Mass and she came down to the steps from her house to get the car, this young fellow with the radio on, saying this is Radio Free Grenada. And that it government had been toppled, so she said to the young fellow, what radio is that? She's Grenada, isn't that? He said, oh, it is. <laughs> so um, she went back, she said, and have a good breakfast before that. But anyway, they came for her under house arrest, and, and uh, but they did no harm to her. So then about, that lasted from uh, 79, March 79, until October 83, when the revolution was split among themselves, between diehard and more moderate. And... Um, the, 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 the uh, Deputy Prime Minister and his followers over, took over from the Prime Minister and he was locked up. And then all the children in the schools got involved because they were being highly politicised over the four and a half years. And they took to the streets, including the school I was in myself. And they went and they freed the Prime Minister. And he went, uh, even the house he was in, and he went a triumphal march up to an old British Army fort called Fort George and big 30, 40 foot walls all around it. And um, it was about two hours there trying to re-establish control when the other faction drove up with uh, jeeps and lorries of, full, of, full of soldiers and they just jumped out and sprayed the place with submachine guns, killing about, uh, I think about 300 people in the process. Then they captured the prime minister and eight other leaders with him, brought him out the back, lined him up against the wall and shot him. And one of them was Jackie Kreft, whom I knew quite well, the Minister for Education, and she was seven months pregnant. Came out in the trials afterwards. I think she was the first they, they, they shot. So then the, we had four and a half days shoot to kill for curfew from Wednesday night till the following Monday. And when that Sunday was Mission Sunday, I remember saying Mass on my kitchen table. And um, 
one young teacher who was to stay near me came in for the mass and that just the two of us on that Easter Sunday, 19, October 83. Or that mission Sunday, sorry, October 83. And um, then the curfew was lifted on the Monday and then the at daybreak the following morning the American army landed to, to take over control and uh, that war went on for us for the best part of a week. And Grenada is very small, it's only 20 miles by 12, so no matter where you are, you're in the middle of it. I could stand in my churchyard and watch the bombers going in and bombing a, a military base of the revolutionaries down at the end of the parish. I could stand there and just watch the, the bombers diving down and dropping the bombs and then up and gone up in the air before the explosion. So we were very much in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, that must have been, you know, it goes with it saying, extremely difficult to to try and uh, minister to the people there sort of thing during that time I mean how how were you received with the people when you, you first went sort of thing oh and the people are very good yeah Grenada's very very welcoming people and uh, you know they're a good lively church there and from the beginning even when I went there they had parish council so they were quite involved in the running of the parish mm. which was great and um, there was another priest with me for the first year Father Sean McGrath he's now gone to God God rest him only recently and um he was there for a year with two of us together and then he was moved off to Brazil to work as a missionary in Brazil and then I was running the parish on my own and principal of a secondary school as well. So it was a fairly busy life. <laughs> so was it just Grenada you were running mission? That, what, what, I started in Grenada yeah. and I gave 10 years there. Yeah. And then after 10 years I was brought back to, to become vocations director in Scotland and England. Okay. And I lived in our house in Buckleivy near Stirling. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a house for young men who hadn't finished secondary education. They could come there for do a two-year course and get the role levels and then go on to the seminary. So a number of them are actually priests here now in, in Scotland at this time. And I was about four years in Scotland. I was moved down to London, lived there, but I continued the same work. And um, I was involved, I suppose, in the, through that and going to Medjugorje with youth groups. I was involved in the very beginning with uh, Youth2000 and giving retreats with them and so on. So that's, they were called Youth2000 about eight, year 89 when young people came back from Medjugorje and they were anxious to deepen their faith. So being on vocations work, I was kind of free on weekends to be available to them and uh, that was a great experience as well. So did you enjoy living in Scotland for those four years? I did, enjoyed it very much, and sometimes doing mission appeals and driving up to the, the highlands and that, so it was just wonderful to see the country, yeah. you still got some good friends here as well? I have still very good friends here, yeah, I'm hoping to visit some of them right now. Excellent stuff. Just just going back to um, when you were on mission in, in Grenada, uh, I mean, obviously the, the war kind of consumed anything, but do you have any, like, kind of, sp you know, standout memories or... Or stories from your time there? Yeah, I suppose I suppose I haven't been in the school as principal in teaching and most of the children were very, very um come from very poor families. I can have one chap called Martin Purcell, he had a good name. And Martin grew up in um a one roomed wooden flat uh with his mother with just a piece of curtain dividing it. It was with his grandmother actually. And he, when I was there, first year I was there, he got very good results in his own levels, which at that time they were doing the, the English system of examinations. And uh, the government then had decided they only have A levels in, in, in the college in, in the capital, St. George's. So he went down there, but halfway through his course, his granny couldn't pay the bus fare for him to go. Oh, 
So he came back and um, we took him in as a junior teacher. And then he continued to study and got his A-levels. And then there was an offshore medical school in Grenada who used to give a few scholarships every year to local people. So Martin got one of those. And now he's a, t- a top consultant in the USA. Wow. And uh, another lad was, was um, another chap he we had in the school. And uh, he's a top consultant in, in um, cancer research in America now. And did they both still keep in touch with you? Um, occasionally we keep in touch, yeah. Oh, but some fantastic. of my have, uh, yeah, so, some of my, uh, I suppose, who came from very, very poor, all, most of them came from very poor families. But to see how they've got jobs, some, a lot of them stayed on in Grenada, a lot of them immigrated. But some of the ones that were there now, I visit when, when I go back every time. And, uh, you know, they are, you know, I think one couple, um, one chap, he, he was just off as a teacher and his wife was in the school and, and she was teaching there as well. And I had both of my students in my day. And, um, you know, he went on then to, to study um, law and did correspondence through law and qualified as, as a barrister. But he's working in Grenada, not, not as, a, as a legal man at the moment. But to see them now, that they're making sure all their children go to good schools. And I think their oldest girl now is, is in university at this time. So it's lovely to see the families developing and growing so that's gives it great have you managed to get back uh, to visit anything? i have yeah and i was back there we were celebrating 50 years there as kiltegan missionaries at the beginning of COVID. so i was back down there representing in the kiltegan fathers and um we had a celebration on the, the sunday before saint patrick's day in one of the churches and saint patrick's day in the cathedral and then the following sunday we're up in two smaller islands called cariacou and petty martinique where i also worked but COVID came in over the, those days, and on the week, second weekend I was there, the government decided to close down the airport and just allow one flight in from British Airways on, on the, the Wednesday. So I had to cut short my time, and I came back on that flight with British Airways back to London. And I couldn't imagine, I came into Gatwick, and there was only, you could count the people on one hand as around the airport. I couldn't believe it. And then got a connecting flight to, to Dublin with very few people, and Dublin Airport was pretty well deserted when I got there. So it was a whole different experience in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah, do you, have you got any plans to, to go back at any point? Um, well, at this stage, I'd love to go back visit and we're working. I'm in my 70s at this stage, so. <laughs> 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 I did retire about a year ago, and anyway, I got called back in to, to, to be National Director of Missio in Ireland. So mm-hmm. I'm still, in that sense, working for missions and, and being able to help them. So, I, I, you know, I've, I feel this age of my life, I can do something worthwhile. To <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, you know, you're obviously highly thought of yeah. uh, as a missionary, so you will know, like, what are the most important qualities or, or characteristics that are a missionary must possess, so what do you think those are? Yeah, I, I suppose I'd say maybe a love of people and an acceptance of people where they're at in their lives and uh, I always believe that God journeys with us in our lives he's always there and I, I was in my hometown Cashel about a couple of months ago and I was coming down the street and there was a man, an elderly man with a little child holding his hand and the father moved at the space of the little child no quicker he just moved at the pace of the child and I believe God is in our lives is like that he moves at our pace mm-hmm. he's, he waits for us if we're tired, if we're all back he still waits and he moves on when we're ready fantastic yeah. and, and uh, you know you've lived the life um, and in, in really trying circumstances you know, what are the positives and negatives you would say about being a missionary priest well I suppose uh, it's very rewarding 
And, uh, you know, it's great. Some of the people I talked about there who, you know, made tremendous lives. It's great to have a, a kind of a hand in, in helping them on the way. And um, the challenges are, I mean, in Grenada, I lived through those two revolutions and the war in the first five years. So it was challenging. And um, uh, the other thing I would say, I suppose, I went back in, in 2014 for a visit. Oh, no, so 2004 for a visit. And we got hit by a category five hurricane while I was there. So uh, once in a lifetime, was enough experience of that. So we, we had to the category five hurricane, so it winds of 150 miles an hour when it hit us. And it lasted from 2, 2 p.m. in the afternoon to about 10 o'clock that night. And uh, the house we're in was ripped apart, the whole roof gone, everything gone. And uh, anyway, we, the whole place, was, the rain was flooded, but we found a little, one or two quiet corners to, to lie down for the street was in the house to lie down for a few hours. So but I suppose we can see a bit like the pandemic, you know, just the importance of having God in our lives and that God is with us and he's forgiving us and he loves us. Um, the term mission itself, what does it mean to you personally? Mission, I'd say, is, is going out to people, is spreading the love of God with people and a God who is merciful to us, who forgives us when we sin, once we ask him. And uh, I think it's basically about that sharing large love. And I suppose as young missionaries, we all also did an awful lot of um, physical things of helping to build schools or houses or whatever. In the year 2000, we were hit by um, tremendous floods in, in the parts of South Africa where I worked. And, um, you know, people, I, normally I could go three miles into the local town. After that, I had to go 50 miles each way to get to another town to get basic food. And uh, it's the same for everybody. And so we got some grants from American, uh, uh, see, um, like, uh, like Ski in America. So they gave us quite a bit of funds and we built over, rebuilt over 100 houses for people. And just a lot of money, maybe just one room, but they added on then later on, yes. Yeah, in Grenada, so South Africa, then, where, I, where I worked for um, about 14 years, and um, again, totally different scene. And um, the parish I was in, a place called Bungani, near Nelspruce, which is on, on the edge of the Kruger Park. But we took, I suppose, it's only 100 miles from one end to the other. So we had 14 different church communities there. And a lot of our work there would be training lay people in ministry and young people and um, I was back there about three years ago and I stayed in the parish with there was an African priest there from Congo Father Floribert so I stayed with him and um, you know it was great he was parish council meeting the Saturday I was there with him and it was great to see a lot of the people in the parish council were young people the were there when my time and just to see them coming back I mean very involved in the church just, just very satisfied to see that and that follows on quite well because you've obviously seen it at first hand in, in South Africa and stuff like that about you know how lay people can be missionaries. So what, what is the best way that a lay person can, can live out their mission, do you think? Yeah, I think, um, well, I suppose here to get involved in things at home, like Michio here in Scotland, and, um, you know, any group, and if someone wants to go out to the missions, then I'd say contact some of the missionary groups. Because I think it's important to go out through some group because then you'll have a backup service and, um, you know, there'll be someone there to call and if things are difficult or whatever, you know. So, But again, that spirit, I suppose, of sharing, not being focused on ourselves, but being focused on other people and to journey with them in their lives. Yeah. And, and in terms of the... the the Coteigans, what's the current situation for, for the Coteigans? Current situation, uh, we're 90 years 
this year, uh, founded in um, Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day 1932 by Father Patrick Whitney. And um, he went out as a young priest to Nigeria, just as a diocesan priest from Minute, a few others. And while he was there, he felt if more priests didn't go out to continue the work that they were involved in, the, the, that effort would, would fall flat. So he came back, and anyway, in 1930, got permission from Rome to start our missionary group. So a bit like diocesan priests who come together to do to, to do missionary work. So we we started basically through going to Nigeria, and just two three weeks ago, uh, with a chapter of our society went on for the first three weeks there of May, and our delegates there are after are, uh, have elected our new superior general, and he's a young priest from. Nigeria and so we've gone the full circle mm -hmm. and he has three um, councillors who are with him one this vicar general is a man from County Cork and then the other two are one is from the Turkana Desert in Kenya and one another Raphael is from Zambia and these in fact the last the latter two I had in, in, in training and formation myself in South Africa so we've gone the full circle. We now basically hand over the whole leadership to young African priests. So it's a full circle of missionary work. Fantastic. Um, and so you became national director, was it mm. November 2021? Yeah. Uh, so how have you found that? Well, it, it's um, when just coming in, I suppose, is that COVID is beginning to ease off a bit and there were still some lockdowns after I came in. And um, But I'm just getting the whole hang of it, but I think it's so wonderful. And when I was in South Africa, we were in the parish I was in, we were feeding about a thousand young people orphaned through AIDS. And a couple of years, three years, we got some funding from the Missio. And I didn't quite understand how it worked at the time that we'd apply through the Missio office to the bishop and then the nuncio to the bishop, the, the Missio office in Rome. But eventually, when we got funding, it came from Malta. And I didn't quite understand why is Malta sending us money. <laughs> but I now I understand how it works. Mm -hmm. And that help is tremendous. So the, in the Missio, this, the POF, which is available, where so much money is allocated to um, missionary diocese. I, my own classmate, John Ryan, he's a bishop in a place called uh, Mizuzu in, in uh, Malawi. So he gets, I think he told me, 30,000 a year to help in the running of the diocese where people are very poor. And then there's a second section where for help seminaries for training priests, where the nuns are being trained, where catechists are being trained to put on the faith. So that's another leg of the of the, uh, of the program. And then there's a third leg, which is for children, missionary children under 14 years. So the idea is children helping children. Mm. Here at home in Scotland, if you know, get school children to help the children out there. And as I say, in that parish, Bungani, where I gave seven years, we were feeding a, a, a thousand AIDS orphans. And, um, you know, it was, it was so interesting to see the kind of things there. I can remember we had one grandmother, Gogo is a great Zulu word for a granny, mm -hmm. and she had buried four daughters in one year through AIDS, and then she had taken in, I think, 15 children and was looking after them. So there were some of the children coming to our, and there wasn't, there wasn't some other Christian group, there wasn't Catholic, but we fed any hungry children. And then a year, year or so later, she, a poor woman got cancer and died. So those children were getting scattered among relatives all over. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, and again, another day I was there with the feeding of the children, and um, there was one very little girl, very sickly, and they just line them up in a row to come in, but they sat with the smallest back up to the, the older ones. And this little girl took in this very small child to, into the little room, the kitchen, where they were getting the food. And um, the children came out, and the older girl sat down with her back to the wall of the kitchen, and to put down the two dishes of food. But before she took any mouthful of food herself, she fed the weaker child. And she was one of the children of that granny who had taken in 15 children. And yet she was thinking of someone else, someone that was weaker than herself. And I just thought, if I, if I had a video camera, it would have been wonderful just to, to capture it, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, and I was, she was children helping children. She was helping the weaker, even though she came from very impoverished set-up herself. Mm. I mean, in that respect then, uh, why do you think it's important for people to support the work of the Pontifical Mission Societies? Yeah, I, I mean, it's the Pope's charity for missionary work, you know, and having worked in the missions, I mean, I was away from Ireland for over 30 years, and um, I just become aware of that, that it's Holy Father's charity and that the money is going to people who are very much in need and to change, train the next the next uh, lot of younger priests and nuns coming up. And, you know, that, that'll be help our o local countries here because you'll see more and more priests coming from Africa to parishes here. So not only are we helping them, but we're going to benefit from it later on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just in terms of the, the, the church in Ireland, um, how does it differ from some of the, the countries in which you've served? And and how do you feel about the state of the, the, the church in Ireland at the minute? Yeah, I suppose that the big thing in, in the, um, the missions is the whole vibrancy in the church, you know, and full of young people. And... Um, you know, and the singing is just fabulous, you know. And my last Holy Saturday night in Bungani Parish, I had, I had 69 baptisms, adults. And I think once over 16, we, we also confirmed, it was just touched you something. And the morning after, we had 10 of them got married. We're already married in the local tradition, but one of them might be a woman in one case, a man in another case. So they wanted all their marriages blessed in the church. So, but the vibrancy of the singing and the Holy Saturday night is just un unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Here in Ireland, you come back and um, you'll be lucky, I suppose, to get singing sometimes. And uh, But that can change. Last parish I worked in Ireland, you know, with just one girl who was good and she could play the organ and she started and she got formed a little choir with her. And uh, even here, we had a wonderful um, Holy Saturday night, you know, because she knew all... When, different hymns and different psalms and everything to sing so it can be done here as well but I think there's a lot of work to be done here and I think you need more involvement of lay people like parish councils and trying to get some young people into those as well mm -hmm. and interesting I was talking to one young man who comes into Missy office in Dublin where I am he, he's part of a group that, that comes in there doing Catholic comment and he, he studies in, in um Trinity College, but he, young man, he goes to Mass every day, and he told me in Dub University College, Dublin, he told me about 50 young people go to Mass every day. So there's a lot of good shoots there, mm -hmm. and, and to be tuned into those. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the church in, in Ireland in the, the recent past hasn't been without its problems. How do you see things going forward in the future? I think our church is going to be much more humble, mm -hmm. and um, and and you know the more open to people, and that when those mistakes are made, that that, that it'll be admitted, and and you know, 
that to be aware of God's mercy and love there for all people involved, you know. I think that's important. Fantastic. Father, we'll, we'll end on a kind of light-hearted note, um, just as we always do with, with every guest. Tell us something about yourself that other people maybe don't know. Yeah. Do you have a hidden <laughs> skill or...? <laughs> well, I suppose we all have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 when I... I would be a missionary at heart, I suppose, and that's why I took, when I was to take on this job, I miss you, I suppose, that's why I took it on, you know. Mm-hmm. I did, maybe something that most people wouldn't know, I, I came back to Ireland in 2009. I was going back to um, the missions and, and I was having a medical checkup and I discovered I had cancer. Mm-hmm. So I had to have major surgery for cancer. And so since then I've been back working in Ireland. But um, what I say to people maybe who have sickness or suffering or cancer in their lives, it's not the end. I'm still over the ground 13 years later. <laughs> so uh, I'd still do, do the best I can. Well, Father Michael, we hope you're around for a, a good number of years yeah. yet. And thank you very much for um, coming on the podcast and speaking to us and, and talking about your, your time and mission. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you very much. Missio Scotland is a Scottish branch of the Pontifical Mission Societies, the Pope's official charity for overseas mission. To learn more about the work of Missio Scotland, you can visit our website www.missioscotland.com. You can like us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Scotland. You can also follow us on Twitter, Missio underscore Scotland, and on Instagram, Missio Scotland. If you would like to donate to Missio Scotland, visit www.missioscotland.com slash donate. You can also call us on 01236 449 774 or send donations to Missio Scotland, 4 Laird Street, Coatbridge, ML5 3LJ. Please keep us in your prayers. Thank you and God bless.